0: Life Audio.
1: Welcome to the Jesus is All We Need podcast with me, your host, Jason Sautel. This is a show where we dig into the personal testimonies of people in the news, celebrities, and folks just like you and me in a way that will leave you encouraged. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode of the Jesus is All We Need podcast. On this week's episode of the Jesus is All We Need podcast, we have a special friend, Sonia Hunter. Sonia is a good friend of Christy and mine's, and it's, when we became friends about maybe a year and a half ago, two years ago, when we first met in the author's realm?
2: Yes. Yep. Yeah.
1: (laughs) I I remember we did an original podcast, and your book had just come out, and we had a great talk, and then all of a sudden, we just kind of became friends on Facebook, And then a few months ago, we got to meet in person in Oklahoma, and your family just became part of our family, you know? So thank you so much, Sonia, for coming back onto the podcast.
2: Yes, thank you for having me.
1: So for those of you who have not listened to the earlier podcast – Sonia has just an amazing life story. I mean, just from the, the, the her younger years and then what she experienced at one point in her life, which was just a life-altering day, and we'll hit that. But more importantly, what I love about her and her family is how they use all the stories of the struggles they've been through, the good times they've been through, to bless other people. And that's what I want to hit today. So, so Sonia, thanks again for being here.
2: Yes, I'm happy to be here.
1: Awesome. So whereabouts are you right now at this moment?
2: I'm actually in our office at our house.
1: (laughs) Perfect. Which is where? What state are you in?
2: Oh, I'm sorry. In Oklahoma.
1: You are in Oklahoma. I wanted to start there because earlier this year when we were in Oklahoma, we got to meet you. And I love Oklahoma so much. The word hate is strong. Y'all's weather, man. I'm telling you, it's schizophrenic because as far as I'm going to go there, okay. It
2: is very schizophrenic. Like today and tomorrow, we're over 100 degrees, which is not normal for June. And then it's going to drop back down again next week. I'm like, oh, my goodness.
1: (laughs) Yeah, when we were there, it was February, I think. And we had a beautiful day of 60 degrees. Like, wow, this is pretty nice. I put on my shorts. And as we're driving across the state, All of a sudden, I start watching the temperature drop, and the next morning when we stepped out of the hotel, it was six degrees, 60 degrees to six degrees. I'm not a wimp, but I tell you what, that was a struggle for me.
2: Welcome to Oklahoma.
1: (laughs) Well, thank you so much. All right, so let's talk about this. How old were you when you married your husband, Chris? Gosh, I was 19
2: when we got married. Almost 20.
1: 19, almost 20, and how did you guys meet?
2: Well, so we actually went to school together, but um, he was a grade below me, so really our passing, you know, cross in school. So it was right after uh, I graduated that our path right. crossed, and, you know, we were just hanging out with friends, and really, to be honest, at first, I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> I was like, I don't think we were going to be the same, but it actually... Turned into love and everything else. So it's funny. That's you just so never know. Cool. So,
1: so, I, so I think you're what we called a cougar, right? Going after a younger <laughs> yes. man. No, <laughs> <I> was, cool. <laughs> cool. So, so you guys met in high school, hung out, relationship developed, and then you guys got married, right? Yep. Let's talk about your early years of being married and what married life was like.
2: You know, it was, you know, everybody thinks, oh, we're going to get married. Life's going to be so fun. But, you know, really, you get married and you're really poor at first. <laughs> So you learn how to struggle together at that age, you know, but anyways, but no, we had a great marriage, but, um, uh, I did get pregnant with our first son pretty quick, about eight months into our, our marriage. So that wasn't exactly planned, but you know, that was right. God's will for us and wouldn't change. Right. So, hey, you
1: know, a lot of things happen as newlyweds and God's will, trust me, Christy and I were right there we're like, Oh, we're having a baby. So <laughs> totally understand. Yes. And so, And your and your first child's name, Adam. Adam. All right. Cool. So, and he was born. What year?
2: He was born in two thousand.
1: Two thousand. All right. And then after Adam, I believe another little boy came into the picture. Right.
2: Yes. Mister Connor came in the picture in two thousand and four. So two
1: thousand and four. So about a three to four year spread there between the two of them,
2: which is the perfect age because. Adam could take care of himself, kind of, you know, and he wanted to help with the baby. So he's out of diapers, so it was cheaper. <laughs> so yeah. Right. But yeah.
1: So, so, what type of work did Chris do during that time?
2: Um, when we first got married, he worked for a steel plant that makes uh, galvanized wire and stuff. But then um, he, the last year of our mar- marriage before the accident happened, he uh, became a conductor for Burlington Northern Railroad.
1: Okay, cool. Lovely. So he was a worker, yeah, right out of the yeah. gate from high school. He was kind of that blue-collared, make-support-my-family, all-around Christian sort of guy and stuff, yeah. which is, you know, there's, and I hate to say, oh, we need more guys like that in this world, you know, but there are a lot of them in this world. But when I run across another guy or uh, someone who's married to a, a guy who takes care of his family with blue-collared work and that kind of yeah. stuff— I just like to highlight that because it, it, we, we all don't have to go the route of having this huge degree and go do exactly. mechanical engineering. We can do basic engineering and still support our families. Exactly. Cool. So you guys were married. Now, how was it being a mom? Did you work at the time out of the house or were you a stay-at-home mom? What did you do during that time?
2: I was a stay-at-home mom for until I had Connor, and then uh, yeah. I have a I have a degree as a medical transcriptionist. So I actually went to work, which was a God thing for what was actually going to happen in our life. Um, I went to work for a company that I did all the medical transcriptions for physical, occupational, and speech therapists.
1: Oh, that's cool. And so around, what was it, 2006, you were working and you were at work. And this is where I just kind of want to take a turn. A day kind of hit there that transformed your life. And and when I say we all had days that transformed our lives, but this was more, well, it's not more of, it was a tragic day. It's one of the worst days anyone could ever have and stuff. And that was in 2006, correct? Yes.
2: <clears throat> yes. Yeah.
1: Do, do you mind if we talk about that day?
2: Not at all. So, you know, that day was definitely, you know, you always have those fears of, especially when you're a parent, it's more of your kids though. You're like, Oh, I just pray nothing ever happens to my kids. You know, it's really funny because on my way to work that day and my parents um, kept the boys so they weren't in daycare, but Chris was off that day, but he was going to have to go in later that afternoon. And so he had the boys that morning and it's funny because Adam was still asleep um, because summer break had just started. Connor was up bopping around like his normal little self. And so, you know, I kissed Chris and Connor goodbye and I just had this horrible gut feeling on the way to work that day. And I just kept thinking, actually, I was, and I kept thinking it was just my nerves because I was about to quit um, and be a stay-at-home mom again. And I really loved my work family. We were all like a big family. So I just thought, oh, I'm just getting sad because I only have a week left to work, you know, that kind of thing. And then when I got to work, uh, Chris had told me that Adam was up and that he he was coaching their t-ball team. So he was going to run into the Y to go get their t-ball uniforms mm mm-hmm. and you know it's really crazy because he and then they were going to come and take me to lunch um that okay. day well he called me when he left the y and you know i can still i can still to this day hear adam and connor in the background playing and and adam was actually tickling connor and it's right. crazy that i can still just literally close my eyes and hear every bit of that sound again and Chris was like, "Okay, we're leaving the Y. We'll be there in about twenty minutes." And you know, when that twenty minutes hit, that gut feeling I had earlier that morning came back to me all over again. And I was like, "This is strange." And so I call him. No answer. And to be honest, that what it shouldn't have been strange to me because sometimes he might be on the phone or something like that. But immediately, I knew in my heart something was wrong. And so another fifteen minutes went by. I Kept calling his phone nonstop, no answer, calling everybody I could think of to see, you know, if he stopped by somebody's house. Did he have, you know, truck problems or something, you know, and right. which wouldn't have been like him not to call me. And right. so I was about to actually walk out the door to go look for him because I knew in my heart something was not right. And about the time I was going to walk out, I could hear I was coming around the corner and I could hear someone asking for Sonia McDougall. And I was like, when I made eye contact with him, it was the police department. And actually, I knew the police officer that was in there, that was about to tell me what he was about to tell me. And he recognized me; he just didn't recognize my married name. And when wow. I could, when I saw the look on his face, especially when he recognized who I was, I knew at that moment I actually thought they were all dead. And he—wow!
1: No, let, let me let me stop just right there because <laughs> yeah. I mean, so you're you're. I've had moments in my life where I can't contact Christy, my wife, or, you know, our, our 16 year old is now driving and, and I've had like, you know, a bout of small panic, but I've always gotten in contact with them. So you're feeling just absolute, I can imagine the fear you're feeling and you're wanting a confirmation that, Hey, maybe these fears are dumb and they're just getting ice cream and his phones yes. off or something. Right. Yes. But then a police officer walks in now before we go on with the story, what ran through your mind the second you saw that officer?
2: I truly thought they were, they were all dead. And it literally, to be honest, I felt like somebody at that moment before he said a word to me had just punched me as hard as I could in the gut. And that horrible feeling that I'd had driving to work that day just, I mean, it came back over me 10 times, you know, and it's, it was just, oh. A horrible, oh, horrible, gut-wrenching villain.
1: Oh, gosh. I, uh, oof, it's so hard to hear, and I'm so sorry and stuff. So he now is going to give you a message, and what did he say?
2: So he patiently, he had me sit down, He, you know, which was smart, and I actually was in another lady's office because it was right there beside, beside where he was at, and then, um, of course, all my coworkers at this time or in the office, because I think, I don't remember exactly, but I think I probably was screaming at him, no, you're not going to tell me what you're about to tell me, because I I do vaguely remember some of that. And Mm -hmm. as he he sat me down, he got down on his knees in front of me, and he was like, Sonia, Chris had a really bad wreck, and him and one of your boys passed away, and the other one's in very critical condition at the hospital, and you need to get there immediately, and at that moment, of course, I'm I'm like, well, which one of my babies is alive? And he was oh. like, I don't know. And I think, actually, they told me later that he did know, but he didn't have the heart to tell me which well. one was alive. And uh, he, at that moment, I mean, of course, I just crumbled because it was almost like I was paralyzed. I was like, I can't, I feel like I can't move. I feel like I can't feel my legs, you know, I'm. Having a panic attack, I, I feel like I'm going to throw up. I mean, it was just horrible. I didn't, I felt like at that moment, part of me died. You know, I just, and it, I kept thinking, please him, this is a horrible bad dream. And I'm going to wake up from this because, you know, I was 29 years old. We had our whole life ahead of us. We had a whole summer planned since I wasn't going to be working. I mean, we had a trip to Disney World Already booked. Um, my sister and her family, and my dad, and then we're going to go with us. I mean, it would just, you know, all those dreams just came crushing down on me.
1: Right. And uh, you know, as a first responder, and I want to keep the story about you. I, I understand that police officer because you know, telling someone that their loved one or loved ones is dead is is the worst part of our job. It's the worst part. I and you know, done. there's how, how do you handle it? But it's it's not about us. It's about that. But where I want to go with this is your feeling. I've never thought about it from a first responders or from a patient standpoint. I always see it from a first responder standpoint about how it feels like the life was sucked out of me. But I don't make it about me because I want to just pour into the people. But what catches me here is you were given notification that two of the closest people in your life were dead and one still alive. So automatically mourning Plus, you have to have hope or what's... I couldn't imagine the multitude of feelings that just crush you. I mean, were they equal? Were they separate? Or was it just numbing?
2: It was almost... At that time, it was very numbing. Like, And I didn't even know what to do. And in fact, when I actually... Because I seriously thought I was going to throw up. And so I tried to stand up to get to the bathroom. And when I stood up, I crumbled to the ground. And luckily, one of my coworkers, she just caught me and just sat there on the floor holding me. And it's funny because at that time, you know, I remembered I was wanting my mom, you know, because, you know, moms are comforting. And I just kept thinking, I wish my mom was here. I want my mom. And, you know, luckily my boss got my phone and actually did call my parents and told them what was going on while this was happening. But, you know, I just and then I remember just trying to crawl to the bathroom. I couldn't even stand up. And I knew I had to get up and I needed to get to my child, but it's like, it's really like, it was almost like a paralyzing thing that happened to me. It was horrible.
1: It's it's because you just entered a new world. If you kind of think about, I mean, we're still in the world. We're still in this world that God created and everything, but your personal world had just been changed. And I think there's a lot of listeners who can understand that paralyzing moment, the fear, the agony, the, the struggle that you have, that, that it's just numbing. And I've witnessed that from the outside in as a fireman looking into that. And what I've learned is that is when support becomes the utmost of importance because you had even at the most basic level, people making calls doing this, Yes. but this support's going to need to carry on for years following too. Yes. So he notifies you. How, how now are you going to find out which child is, is with the Lord and which one is still here? How, how did you find that out?
2: So, uh, luckily, my coworkers, um, I couldn't have asked for a better place to be when I found out and the people that were there with me. So, one of the coworkers actually drove me to the hospital. So, where I worked is a little city called Medill. And so, it's about 20 miles from Ardmore, where there are big hospitals at. And so, for 20 minutes, it felt like five hours trying to get to that hospital and actually the co-worker they sent with me was a registered nurse because I have asthma so they were afraid I was going to go into a full-blown asthma attack right. Um, right. so anyways but um she uh, you know I just I literally prayed the whole way to the hospital God whichever one of my babies is alive please save them because I knew in my heart I didn't know how I'd survive losing all three of them and right. You know, and and it was crazy because, you know, there was several times going there to the hospital that I was like, I just I want to call Chris. I need to talk to Chris. He's my rock. He's my best friend, you know, and now I, he's gone. You know, it was just horrible. And so when I got to the hospital, I don't know how everybody knew because the I mean, the waiting room was completely packed full of people there to show their love and support.
1: And, yeah. and who were the people? Were they friends, co-workers, family, church people? Who were they?
2: Friends, co-workers, church members. Um, our pastor Very, was uh, there. And luckily, our pastor, he's the first face I caught as we were driving up. Because to be honest, everything was kind of blurry. I don't know. It could have been because of all my tears. But, you know, I think, too, I was in shock. And it's just everything visually was fuzzy. In fact, right.
1: well, yeah, and in a small community, and, and having your coworkers put in the calls, you know, it's like wildfire exploding, you know, and people, you know, people. What I've learned, they always think they want to be there because they 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 want to help. But what I've found truly with our family, believers, and friends, and everything, is they've been called to be there to help. They drop what they they're doing and get there, and it sounds like that's exactly what happened. There was the call went out. And they, they were there waiting for you. So you walk in, you see your pastor's face. And what, what happens from that moment?
2: And then I, then I see my dad. And so I go up to my dad and I was like, which one of my babies is alive? And they wouldn't let them back there because they weren't the parents. Yeah. And so they were waiting on me to get there. And when I looked into my dad's eyes and he told me it was Connor who was alive, Again, I just completely crumbled because it became a reality to me that, you know, Adam's gone. I'll never get to hold him, hear his little voice again, right. and, you know, he, that was gut wrenching too. And that's
1: that's the part, Sonia, that I've thought about your story so much when I've read it and I've gone back there because I I, I just look at that. Like, your husband isn't there. Well, I mean, we all need our mom and our dad, but your your husband is who you became one with.
2: Yes.
1: Your child is, is. I mean, that is your angel. That's what God gave yeah. you to and everything. And so then you have Connor. We'll get into Connor lately because I just absolutely adore Connor. <laughs> but I can't imagine the mourning of what's going on on this side over here. But then okay, we what's going on here with Connor? I still have one of my babies. I could not imagine the internal struggles that you must be feeling at that exact moment.
2: Oh, it was horrible. It was absolutely horrible because there was so many things going on at once that you know, you don't know which emotion to go with or what you're supposed to be doing and and I remember I was like, "Okay, I have to pick myself up off this floor. I have to get in there to Connor. I need I didn't even know what was wrong with him. Was he awake? Was he not awake?" and I knew more than anything he was probably scared to death if he was awake back there because they won't let anybody back there that he knows.
1: And you know, me how old he was? he was. He was
2: 19 months.
1: 19 months. Oh, goodness.
2: Just, okay, a, okay. just a little still a baby to me. I mean, I yeah, about
1: Yeah, he recognized mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, yes. but the rest of the world is just foreign to him and stuff, yes. and now he's back there. Okay, so, so you go back there.
2: So, you know, and before I, I make... Before I made the corner into that triage room, I told myself, okay, you got to pull yourself together because I didn't know what was wrong with Connor. I didn't know what state he was in, nothing. I thought, you know, if he hears me and he can tell I'm upset, it's going to upset him. So I try to pull myself together. And then about that time, my pastor's like, Sonia, you, you need to kind of prepare yourself. And I'm like, well, what's wrong? And he was like, you know, they know he has a spinal cord injury, a high-level spinal cord injury at C1, 2, and 3. And, you know, just be prepared. And I think that's because he knew when I walked in there, I was going to see that someone's breathing for him. You know, they had the Ambu bag and had him intubated. And when I made that corner and I see him, my little toddler just laying there in a diaper, completely lifeless. And I can still see the person's face that was actually using the Ambu bag to keep him breathing. I don't know why, but I focused in on that so much because I was like, literally, you're keeping him alive at the moment by breathing for him. And I just walked up to him. And, of course, I tried to keep it together, but I couldn't. It just broke my heart to seem that way. And I just, and, of course, he wasn't coherent. But I just reached down to his ear and you whispered into his ear that mama needs you please fight if you can hear me fight 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 to stay alive
0: what impacts you every day there is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives museum of the bible reveals the bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists the way we measure time social justice our national monuments and more The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org slash impact. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth.
2: Call 800-497-4410.
0: Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take
2: advantage of this opportunity and call now,
0: 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states.
1: Well, one thing I just want to kind of throw in there is just, you know, I, I worked in an extremely busy area in Oakland, California, you know, in West Oakland, where you know some city fire departments all of their people don't go on as many runs per year as I would myself in just one year so I've been on so many countless tragedies like this and one thing I got to throw in there is I understand the scope of what a C1 fracture and 2 and 3 fracture is and the age of Connor and just all that stuff and I I believe in God's miracles and I, a lot of times don't highlight them because I sometimes don't want a family member who didn't feel like they received a miracle to shake their fist at God, you know, because their family was there. But that I'm sorry, son. all I'm going to put right there from a medical first responder standpoint is a miracle happened there, especially a miracle of him staying alive all the way to the hospital. I know that's hard to hear, but it's true because I'm looking as a paramedic now. And with a 19-month-old, and and I don't even need to talk about how major damage there was in the car, because I already know if two people died, especially a child, what his little body went through and stuff. And I'm telling you, that's a miracle, my friend, right there. That is such a miracle.
2: And you know, the, the other miracle was that there was a nurse that pulled up right after the accident happened. And so she immediately got out, and she immediately knew Chris and Adam were deceased. But then Connor still had a faint heartbeat, and she immediately started CPR on him. And that was a god thing too, because he may not have made it. Like you said, to the hospital, she wouldn't have been there at that time and started CPR on him. Right. Wow. Yeah.
1: Okay. So I'm sorry to relive that with you and stuff, but it's just. I have no, to find the hope in the struggles. And I know you're like that too. You know, yeah. that's why you and I are such good friends is we're yeah. looking for hope and looking for God in the darkest of times. Now, obviously, at that exact moment, we're not oh, praise God. Exactly. But what I'm also catching, here's another thing I'm catching there. You were surrounded by the body of Christ. Yes. And what I've learned in the middle of tragedy, this is why we spend so much time filling our heart and soul with Bible verses and praying and surround ourselves with believers because in the moment of tragedy, let's be real. There's not a true, I mean, besides God, please help them and make them is you're not throwing scripture in your heart. You're not throwing all this stuff out there. You're in the middle of tragedy Yep. And so then God sends the body of Christ around you to pray up to do all stuff because people say, Oh, well, we're you on your knees praying and this and that. Well, the prayers are let's keep it real, and we're like, God, please, please keep my child yes. alive. You know, yes. now you have the body of Christ outside supporting you and, and praying over you and doing that. And so what a blessing that is just to even hear that they were there for you. So, yes. so little Connor is diagnosed with that. And what what were the days, weeks, months after? during that oh, looking like freaking had to have been a million things going on
2: oh gosh well so you know he had to be airlifted to children's hospital in dallas yeah. and oh my gosh and i was so upset because they wouldn't let me go on the helicopter with him which i totally right. get it now but at the moment i didn't
1: yeah in the moment no one's gonna get it but from our side it's like listen we just need medical care we don't need yeah. mom in the helicopter with i but it sounds heartless. I get that. And that's why we say sometimes emergency medicine feels heartless. But as a parent, I couldn't imagine what that would feel like to not be able to get in that helicopter with him.
2: Yes, it was hard because so Dallas is about two, right, right around two hours from us. And so we, of course, for driving and my dad, not me, but my dad, we all, my parents are divorced, but at that moment I needed both my parents. And so we all loaded up into one car together and, you know, just took off to Dallas. I don't even know how my dad drove down there, but we had a caravan of people. And uh I remember seeing a helicopter going back towards Ardmore about halfway to Dallas. And I just went into complete panic, started bawling because I was like, oh my gosh, that's them. He died, which was my fear was that he would die on the helicopter and I wouldn't be there with him. And uh, my dad was like, it's okay, sis. He calls me Sis. He's like, the helicopter pilot has my phone number. And he told me if anything happened to Connor, he would call immediately. And he's like, he's okay. And so, of course, when we get to Dallas Children's, you know, that was even scarier than the hospital here. Because, you know, there was probably 50 people, it seemed like, in that room. And, of course, they wouldn't let us in. I had to stand there at the outside of the room and just watching them work on him. And, of course, he kept crashing then they had to get him, you know, to MRI CT. He crashed several times during that where they had to stop the test and revive him. And I mean, just horrible. And so at that moment, I'm sitting there. I They only let me and my mom and dad go back while they're doing the test. And the pastor, the chaplain of the church, I mean, of the church, sorry, the chaplain of the hospital had come into our lives at this moment, which he was a godsend. And, you know, I remember just he had me lay down on a bed and I just... I mean, all I could do is just sit there and cry because I'm thinking, my life's over. That's what I felt like. This is over. What do I do from here? But right. that night, of course, Connor was really critical. And they said it was going to be critical if he if he could even survive through the night. Mm-hmm. Right. And at that moment, of course, we had so many people down there. But, you know, we didn't have social media back then. And I just told everybody, I was like, everybody needs to call everybody they can think of. I need everybody all across the world praying for Connor because I need a miracle. And, you know, he did survive through the the night. And, um, of course, we had a one of the ICU attending physicians um, was not from this country. Mm-hmm. And he um, was very negative about me going on with connor's life and um, mm-hmm. told me that if i was in his country it wouldn't be my decision to go on with his life it would be his and he would end his life
1: no way
2: yeah it was really bad okay. really bad well, you want
1: all right i'm gonna the, <laughs> praise god but the fireman would have come out i me. Mean, the west oakland fireman that guy would be sitting on his duff after he said that i mean Oh, I'm sorry, but but did that make you want not fight him, but fight that much more for Connor? Yes, yes.
2: Well, and we were so he had a family meeting with us like a week after the accident, and this is when all this was brought up. He was really trying to get me to let Connor go. He was like, "We'll put him in your arms, and we'll just let you rock him to sleep, and we'll have him very sedated, so he'll be comfortable. You won't see him struggle." And I'm like, "Are you kidding me? I've just lost my whole family, and..." I believe God left Connor here for a reason and God can take him over that ventilator any day. And, yeah. you know, so, but we were seeing signs of things, um, like Connor, of course, and they were also keeping him sedated, but right, right, right. Um, every time Connor would hear my voice, his heart rate would skyrocket really high, like too high. So it got to a point where the nurses are like, mom, you know, you can go love on him all that, but you know, let's,
1: Dogs, I guess, not good I <laughs> and me, Those, the nurses sound pretty awesome to be honest. The you know? Is I mean, amazing. There's the good <laughs> truth in you know like yo mom, we gotta keep it calm here and stuff for the for your baby and stuff. But on the flip side Oh man! There's the medical diagnosis that that his little brain is reacting, that he's hearing, that things are yeah. happening. As a oh well, let's just take him off life support and and yeah. sedate him and everything. It's like I'm a true believer on families making decisions that are right for the family and right. all that stuff exactly. and everything. But when you, the mom, are seeing signs of life and it's truly there, it's not just because I have seen times where people are hoping they're seeing something that they're not. You're truly seeing something. I'm talking about, you know, this is God's gift of science, but this is literal science here on earth that you're seeing take place, that my son is reacting. So let's give it some time.
2: Yes, yes. And that's what I tell him, I'm like, okay, his little arm's broke and you're telling me it takes six weeks for that to heal how are you telling me that his brain and all that is in right. spinal cord injury, that, that that's it. That's all we're going to get. Right. And, you know, uh, especially with babies. I mean, cause you know, he wasn't done growing and right. developing yet and all that stuff. And, you know, our brain is unbelievable, especially with babies.
1: It is. Well, there's, that's why it's the truth is they're so resilient. I don't want to get off topic here, but like we would get called out to 911 calls where a baby fell. Right. And my standard line was, babies were built to fall. They got big old butts. They got big old soft heads. They're soft. They're, 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 so chances really? are it's not a tragedy. But when you're 99 years old and you take a fall, that could be truly oh, exactly. deadly. So it's so not I, like say, I don't want to go off topic and funny here, but it's the oh, truth. It's you know, and you saw that. Yeah, you see. Yeah. There's like, okay, so let's, let's go into he's starting to you see signs of improvement. What happens then?
2: So, of course, we were in ICU for 31 days before they moved us down to the pulmonary floor. And when we got out of ICU, it was the best day ever. And, um, oh, and after, oh, let me, this is a pretty important story, too. Um, So after our family meeting, whenever he was telling me all this bad stuff, um, I, of course, go out to the waiting room because I'm crying, I'm upset. And I had some friends back at home waiting for an update because everybody knew that we were having this meeting And so one of my friends is in the waiting room with me there. And then I called the other one. I I was like, you're just going to walk over here and listen to this phone conversation. I'm not repeating it twice. (laughs) And so I'm crying, pouring my heart out to my friend, just telling her everything the doctor had said to me and how mean he was to me about it. And I was like, I just wish that God would give me a sign that I'm, because he told me I was being selfish too. And I said, I just wish that God would give me a sign that I am making the right choice, and it's not my selfish side of me wanting to keep my child. And at that moment, the most beautiful rainbow appeared over downtown Dallas. It wasn't even raining. And I look over at my friend with me, and I was like, "Is am I seeing things, or are you seeing that too? And he's like, uh, I think that's your sign. And, you know, at that moment, I told my friend on the phone, I got to go. And I took off running into Connor's room, and my mom and the nurse are looking out the window at it. And they're like, look at this rainbow. I was like, yes, and let me tell you what I just asked for when it appeared. And so from that moment forward, I knew God. I just felt like that was my my promise from God that, you know, I am supposed to continue going on with Connor, that he's somehow going to make good out of a bad situation. And at the moment, I mean, don't get me wrong, it was hard to see that anything good could come from this, but... I just knew in my heart I was supposed to move forward. and Miracle
1: so- after miracle after miracle is just happening here. Yes. And it's almost like, you know, even though you're in the darkest place of your life, that God's still shining a light on it. You know, it's kind of yes. what I get out yes. of that. You know, the the miracle of his promise. And we know the rainbow belongs to us Christians, right? You know, it's yes. his promise. Of, yes. of, of, yes. But just what, what I see also in there, Sonia, is just I, I see that even though, you're not like, Oh, hope, the hope of Christ and eternity is that, that God was still pouring that hope into you and showing you the light and showing you that there was, there's more there than, than what all these people are seeing and he's letting you see it.
2: Yes. And, you know, we saw so many things, you know, signs with car not even just us, like the respiratory therapist saw things like her and my mom stayed up one night watching him and, um, They didn't wake me up. I don't know why, but they're watching him trigger breathing over the ventilator, something he should not have been able to do. And so the next morning, the respiratory therapist was so excited about it. And she had told the same ICU doctor about it. And he was like, oh, no, you're giving that family false hope. And he goes in there and he turns the ventilator up so high so that Connor can't trigger a breath. Now, knowing things that I know, because I'm basically a respiratory therapist, you know, I wish that I would have known better back at the end. Cause I would have fought that, but you know, I just had so much going on right. and right. you know, and apparently that was what God wanted anyways, because you know, I don't, I don't know, but you know, we right, saw right. so many different, there's so many stories that I can't even go into them all. Cause I w- don't have time to no, the- I, know, no, I
1: know I just,
2: on just the days right. and I you right. And you know, it's Everyone funny because, has- Oh, yeah, every no, no, no,
1: no, go ahead. I'm sorry, go ahead, go ahead. Okay.
2: Every time that doctor, there was two different doctors. We called them bad cop, good cop. <laughs> and really the good cop was a bad one too, but he was nicer. But um, they every time he came in to give me horrible news, immediately God put somebody in my path right after that and
0: that.
2: and would give me some kind of word, sign, something, every single time. Never failed. Right. And so- but wow.
1: Go ahead. No, go ahead. No, go ahead. Don't no, worry. We're getting any of this stuff here. Go ahead. Go ahead. Like this. It's, it's, it's all going to be deleted out. So don't <laughs> worry. I've got a great. <laughs> goodness, so don't worry about it. Instead, we just <laughs> mark the time in there. So, that's so, that's so cool. where, where I kind of want to go now is during this time, there's also funerals, two funerals or one funeral for both of them. Correct. For, uh, yeah. for um, oh, golly, uh, for Eli, right? I'm Not, not Eli. Oops, I'm yeah. messing up all the names. So we're going to st- uh, this is for the editors. And this is for the editors. We're gonna <laughs> we're gonna change it and I apologize to you. Steph. So during that. this time in ICU, there is a funeral, correct?
2: Yes. And you know, like I said, we're two hours from home. And I honestly did not want to deal with it. I mean, I didn't want to talk about it. I didn't want to deal with it. Um for one, I was scared to leave Connor. And, you know, so I told my parents, I'm like, I can't. Leave him. He's so critical. I cannot go back home and do this right now. And of course, you know, and you know this from your line of work. But you only have so long, and you have to have the funerals. And so, um, luckily, my mom and dad they scheduled. They did every all the planning for it, all that stuff from the hospital. And because I just couldn't deal with it. And I remember we did have to come home before the funeral so that we could sit down with the funeral director and kind of go over a few things. And of course, it just made me sick. Of course, we had family members with Connor, but it just, I'll never forget going to that funeral home. And I I wanted to see Chris and Adam because I hadn't seen them. You know, they were going to have a viewing night. We were not going to be there. Um, And so I was like, I'm not going to let everybody else see them before I see them. And the funeral home guy was like, you know, I don't have them ready yet. And I was like, I don't care. I'm not leaving here till I see them. And he's like, okay, well, we're not gonna let the whole family back there. Just you, your mom and your dad. And I was like, that's fine. And when I walked into that room, I mean, it's an image that I I didn't realize how much blunt of the accident that Chris took and his head was really swollen all that stuff is just horrible but you know Adam looked perfect and I say to this day that that was God's blessing to me because I can't imagine if I just saw Adam looking as bad as Chris looked and Adam's little face was still just as perfect and beautiful as it always was but so yes so then we had that was really tough And the day of the funerals I knew it was going to be a long day and I oh my gosh I did not want to leave Connor I mean, I just, I, it made me sick and I didn't want to do the funerals because that was facing reality as well.
1: I, I hear you. And, and that's a personal choice. Cause like, uh, you know, I, I'm not a huge fan of funeral. I, I know this sounds weird and I want everyone to do what's right for them, you know, right. but I love to remember people for who they were, what they were. So I love a celebration of life, a hangout, tell good stories with them. Cause to me, especially as a fireman going to all these funerals that I've gone to over the years, I just, it's a struggle for me. So I totally understand that. And so, what I tell people, someone might be listening, and go, but I want to go to a funeral. I don't, do what's right for you. Do, yeah. it's, it's between you and God. You know, that's who is between. And if God says, hey, I, I, it's okay that you don't want to, don't feel any guilt because I don't, we don't serve a God of guilt. We serve a God of love, you know, right. and stuff. So I totally understand where you're coming from on that. So, Sonia, it's been approximately 17 years since that life-altering day hit, the months following, the year following. I mean, I mean the years is falling and stuff, but it all happened 17 years ago. How is Connor doing today?
2: He's doing great. You know, I mean, we've had some hiccups along the way, you know, with some health issues. But, I mean, to be honest, he wasn't, I was told he wouldn't survive a year after the accident. And here we are 17 years later, and he's still alive, doing great. Um, Chris we did a lot of physical therapy on him, you know, which we do here. We do take him to Baltimore, Maryland to spinal cord rehab there that we found about a year after the accident happened. But they teach us, you know, we go for two week outpatient stay. They put him through intense therapy, kind of like we were training for a marathon. They see what he's gained, where he's backtracked. And then they have us the last two days of therapy doing the therapy so they know that when we come home, we're doing it correctly. And so, you know, he... And he uh, just graduated high school, so...
1: Wow. I mean, he's And so you're in your life now. I'm going to throw it out there. So he's still single? What's going on? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead and tell people also where you're at, because uh, approximately three years following all of this, uh, I believe the Lord sent you an amazing man yes. in, into your life. Tell us about him.
2: Yes, he did. He brought Robin into my life, and, you know, it was, it was tough at first because... Um, I I knew I really was into Robin, digging it, loving loving it all. But then, you know, I always tell people when you lose your spouse, like I did, it's not like a divorce and it's not like you don't like that person anymore or you don't have feelings for that person anymore. So me, I was still madly in love with Chris. So it was really hard because there was times where I truly felt like I was cheating on him, if that makes sense. And, you know, but God worked all that out. And you know it, I always say it's amazing because you know the time that we were conceived, God knew exactly that one day the two of us were going to be together and that we both right. needed each other because he came from a very broken marriage and so right
1: and even from- from a scriptural standpoint, remarrying is 100% okay. You know? and I'm not going to get into this whole divorce. I, I don't like to have that discussion, but the scripture is so clear that when you have the loss of, of a spouse and stuff, that remarrying is 100% okay, especially if God sends you that right person and stuff. So here we go. Where can people hear more about your story, get the messages, and and read about it and get a copy of your book?
2: So my book is Unsurvivable, and it is on Amazon. And then um, we do have a website, unsurvivable.com. And, of course, we're on Facebook as well. Um, On Facebook, you can go to um, Real Sonya Hunter. And, of course, Connor has his own little page, too. That's set to public so that everybody can can see him and keep up with him, too.
1: Oh, there you go. Well, then we're going to put all of those out there in the, uh, the okay. description so they can, uh, can hook up with all you guys. Cause I adore Connor. And for those of you, here's another little backstory out there. Connor actually loves my dogs more than me. I just got to throw that out there. <laughs> so, <laughs> there I love seeing everything Connor does and I love seeing you guys and following you guys and doing everything. But yeah, he sure does love our dogs. I love watching his reaction whenever I post a video of the dogs.
2: Oh, he thinks they're funny.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, you could come watch them for a while because I need a break from them every now and then. You know, so,
2: Exactly. Right, so,
1: thank you so much for spending this time with us and, and sharing your story. And I know for a fact, I'm going to have you back on again and we're going to talk about things other than the rough spots. Because I also want to bring you through and just talk about some things that have gone on in your life the past, you know, 10, 12 years and stuff and things that you've learned that you can just pour into our our, uh, audience. But again, Sonia, thank you so much for coming on the show. I hope you found this episode as encouraging as I did. Be sure to click the like, subscribe, or whatever button you see that will notify you of future shows because we have some awesome guests lined up that you're not going to want to miss. Until next week, remember this, my friends, Jesus is all we need. I love you guys. I want to take just a second to thank the team at Life Audio for their partnership with us on the podcast. If you go to lifeaudio.com, you will find dozens of other faith-centered podcasts in their network. They've got shows about prayer, Bible study, parenting, and more. So head on over to lifeaudio.com and check them out. This is Chris Christensen, and back in 2006, I started a simple project, a project to try and introduce more people to the Bible through Bible study called the Bible Study Podcast. It's a simple name and a simple idea. Each week, every week, we study one chapter of the Bible, talk about what it says, and what that might mean for us today. To listen now, go to lifeaudio.com or search for The Bible Study Podcast on your favorite podcast app.